been going through the book of Galatians. And one of the things that we need to understand is that as Christians, Jesus Christ has died to set us free. In fact, the Bible teaches us who the Son sets free is free indeed. And when we understand what that means, that Jesus Christ himself died in our place, he died for our sin. So we've been freed from sin, we've been freed from the consequences of sin, We've been freed from the curse of the law. The law, the, when we talk about the law, uh, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, we're talking about God's moral law. The law can never save us. We've been set free from the curse of the law. Uh, when we understand uh, not just that freedom, but the freedom that Christ has set us free, that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you remember the woman who was caught in adultery, Great, great uh, illustration that I want to use this morning that this woman who uh, the religious folks uh, caught this woman in adultery, they drag her before Jesus and they said to Jesus it was a trap and they said to Jesus, Jesus, our law states that we are to stone such a woman. In other words, we are to execute the death penalty on this lawbreaker. Now, Jesus doesn't automatically answer them. In fact, if you know the story, Jesus stoops to the ground and he begins to write something uh, in the sand. We don't know what he wrote in the sand. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, what he wrote other than the fact that he stooped down and he started to write something in the sand. And we don't know. We can only speculate as to what Jesus was writing. I don't want to read too much into that because the Bible doesn't share any light as to what he was writing. Just the fact that he was indeed writing something in the sand. And then he looks up. Remember, they have stones. They're ready to execute judgment on this sinner. On this person who was caught in adultery. They're ready to carry it out. And Jesus says something profound. He says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. That was remarkable. That's incredible. Because as they began to evaluate themselves, they realized that they were not in the position to cast the first stone. The Bible tells us that one by one, they began to drop their rocks, their stones, their tool of execution, and they began to leave. Now remember, this woman, you know, she's expecting the worst. She's expecting to die. She's expecting, you know, her life to end at that moment. And so she is, she's there. She's curled up probably in the fetal position. She's just, you know, just pleading, you know, just, just either, either get, it, get it over with or, or, you know, God, help me. I, we don't know exactly everything that's going on in her life, uh, but we do know uh, that Jesus says something very gracious to this woman caught in adultery. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And I can just imagine her kind of getting up and and wiping the the tears and the dirt and the grime from her eyes. Maybe her hair that's been matted and looking. And there's no one there. Probably to her surprise. Surprise. She probably wasn't thinking that that's how the story was going to end. And Jesus says, woman, where, where 
where are your accusers? And then very graciously, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then, because we've got to go a little further on this scripture, okay? Because I know we stop right there and we say, "Woo, we've been free from condemnation. But Jesus says something that's very profound that I hope to unpack this morning. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then Jesus says, go and sin no more. You've been set free, but not for yourself. You've been set free from sin, not to sin. And that's, that's the point. When we look at Galatians chapter 5 this morning. So we've been set free. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free from the curse of the law. We've been set free from condemnation. We've been set free from shame, from guilt. We've been set free from all of that. We've been set free from religious deeds. Again, there's this mindset that, that you know, for God to love me and for God to you know, uh, show his, his blessings upon me, I need to do something. I need to work harder. I need to uh, perform harder. I need to do something. And, and we tend to have this, this works-based salvation that, that if, if I could just work a little harder, God will be more pleased with me. And we, when we do that, we really don't understand what grace is because grace is really the opposite of working harder. Grace is something we don't deserve and we can't earn it, but God has been gracious towards us. And so we've been set free from religious deeds. We've been set free from the law. This is who we are in Christ because of all Christ has done. Not, and that, 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 I've said this over and over and over again, and I hope it's starting to leave an imprint, uh, not just in our minds but in our hearts, that it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us. And so when we look at that, you know, we say, well, you know, here's, here's, here's everything we are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Remember, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we need to see our identity in Christ. That as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are children of the King. There's no more division. We're all God's children because of our faith in Jesus, because of what He's done for us. Now somebody, you know, we, we, we talked about uh, the, the law, and somebody would ask, okay, uh, if, if we're not saved by the law, then what's the purpose of the law? Why, why do we have the law? And I know we make a great push, you know, if, if we just put the Ten Commandments up in the school, if we just did this, if we did this, you know, with this great push for uh, revealing the law, uh, but the law cannot change our behavior. You cannot legislate morality. The law doesn't change us. The law is powerless. The law, what the law does, it shows that we're lawbreakers. 
The law points us to Jesus. It's a tutor. It's a, it's a, it's a guide to bring us to Christ. And then once we're to Christ and we see that, guess what? We're lawbreakers. We can't save ourselves. Our works are no good. We are, we are hopeless. We are helpless. We need a Savior. Here He is. His name is Jesus. Now we see grace and law working hand in hand to bring about salvation in our life. The law is not bad. It's not unholy, it's holy, it's good, it's just. God is the giver of the law, but the purpose of the law is to bring us to Jesus. That's the purpose of the law. It cannot change our nature. It cannot change our behavior. You see, the power to live the Christian life doesn't come from obedience to the law. The power to live the Christian life comes from God's Spirit living in us he enables us to live the christian life he empowers us to live the christian life in fact that's one of the key themes in galatians in fact over 14 times paul mentions the holy spirit and how important the holy spirit is in the work of the holy spirit in the life of the believer and so you have this law that's powerless which has us scratching our head that, that if, 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 if there's no power in the law, if we, can't, if we can't obtain the life that God desires for us through the law, then how, how, how do we do it? Through the Holy Spirit. Through yielding to Him. Now somebody would say, well, okay. If we are saved by grace... Right? We're not saved by works, not saved by the law. The law is powerless. It can't save us. We're, we're under this, this umbrella of God's grace. Right? If we're saved by grace, then we can live any way we want to live. And it doesn't matter because, because God's grace is greater than our sin. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? And it's true, it is. But never use that as a license to sin. In fact, the Corinthians, this, this, was their, this was their motto, really. Okay, If you read First and Second Corinthians, actually there was four letters written to uh, the church in Corinth. Uh, we only have two of them. The other two God didn't see fit to preserve. Uh, but there's really four letters. And, and really Paul is just, man, he, he's just hammering them because what they, were, what they were saying in essence was, you know what? The, the more we sin, the more opportunity God has to be gracious to us. And so we're actually doing God a favor because the more we sin, the more God is gracious. And the more God is gracious, the more glorified he is, the more great he is, the more, the more we say, God, you're awesome, you're great because your grace is, and we just keep sinning more and more and more, and God just pouring out his grace, pouring out his grace, pouring out his grace. And Paul says, no, 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 no. In fact, he clears it up when he writes to the Christians in Rome. He, sa he says, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. Certainly not. And so uh, there's this misunderstanding that, that, that now that we're free, all right, now that we've been set free from the religious deeds, we've been set free from shame, we've been set free from sin, well, we can live any way that we want to. And it's false. That's the wrong attitude. 
That's the wrong attitude when it comes to the freedom that we have in Christ. That, 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 that is so self-centered. When we have that attitude, okay, I'm free, right? I, I, I've been set free from all of this, and now I can live my life any way I want to over here, and it doesn't really matter because God's, God's grace is greater than this. And it begins to fester as a spirit of selfishness, self-centeredness. Listen to what Paul says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. In fact, if you, if you go back to the first verse of chapter 5, Paul, Paul says we've been called to freedom. It is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Paul says, verse 13, you were called to be free, but, I love this, right? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. A couple things that I want us to unpack this morning. As we look at this, this uh, not only is it a caution, it's a command. Right? Paul is cautioning us how we're to use our freedom, but there's also a command in here. The first thing that I want us to understand is that we are to use our freedom to serve one another. We're to use our freedom to serve one another. You see, you're either serving self or you're serving others. You're either consuming or you're contributing. You're either giving or you're taking. There is no in the middle. You are either serving self or you're serving others. Paul says, yes, we've been set free. That's good. That's glorious. Man, that's awesome. We've been set free. However, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to serve yourself. Use it as an opportunity to serve others. You see, grace should never be a platform for sinful living. Again, we, we use that. We say, well, you know what? We're under the umbrella of grace. We can go ahead and do whatever we want. No, it should never be a platform for that kind of thinking, for that kind of attitude, for that kind of living. Now, I know it's hard. It's hard in, in, our, in our culture, all right, in, in today's uh, uh, you know, mindset of individualism, you know, that I can do what I want to do. I can do it when I want to do it. I have freedom. We, we even bring that over into the political realm, you know, because politically we've been free, right? We have our rights, and, you know, I can do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. And, and that tends to kind of, 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 of trinkle into our spiritual life where we have the same mindset spiritually. Well, you know what? I can do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And that is the wrong attitude. That's the wrong mindset when it comes to understanding our our freedom and how we're to use our freedom you see biblical freedom is not now i can do what i want to do that's not biblical freedom 
Biblical freedom is now I can do what God desires me to do. There's a difference. Because we think freedom is I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. But we understand biblical freedom is now I've been set free to do what God desires. There's a different motivation. There's a different drive. There's a different, there's a different engine here. Over here, it's self. You know, I can do what I want to do. And it's self elevating itself. And, and it's the flesh. When I say the flesh, I'm not talking, because I know sometimes we think, well, you know, the body's bad. We, 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 we destroy the body. But we're talking, about, we're talking about our nature. We're talking about our desires. And whenever that's controlling the shots in our life, whenever that's directing us, it's going to cause us to be self-serving instead of serving others. And so our freedom is to be used as an opportunity uh, to serve. I don't know if you noticed this. This is kind of ironic as I was studying for this. Because the whole thing, you know, Paul's been kind of just pounding this and chiseling away at this. You know, we've been set free. We've been set free from slavery, uh, from sin, and just kind of this whole, uh, you know, been set free from this old life. And, and now, now, now. He's calling us to be slaves again. He's calling us to serve. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, Christ has set us free for freedom. We've been set free. Now, now our freedom is for the purpose of serving one another. I like how the New Revised Standard Version translates this verse. Look at it on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Go one more. He says, for you were called to freedoms, brothers and sister. Right? We've been, if, you're, if you're a child of God, you're a brother in Christ, you're a sister in Christ, we've been called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. That's kind of ironic. That we've been set free from slavery over here, to uh, be uh, yoked over here, to be, to be uh, enslaved over here, it's, it's kind of ironic. In fact, Peter uh, says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. That's an amazing truth. You don't have to turn there, but back in Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul talks about don't be entangled uh, with the yoke of bondage. When we talk about a yoke, he's not talking about eggs, all right? A yoke is this apparatus that a farmer will use to uh, direct uh, an animal, whether that be a horse, a mule, an ox. Uh, he'll, he'll use this, this apparatus, a yoke, to direct, to control, uh, to, to cause that animal to work, all right? And, and when Paul says, don't be entangled uh, with this yoke of bondage, because we used to be controlled over here. We used to be yoked, all right, uh, and, and under this apparatus that was steering us this way and controlling us this way. Paul says, don't be yoked with that. Now, if you remember what Jesus says, because Jesus says something uh, quite similar yet opposite. He says to a crowd of people, he says, take my yoke upon you. 
He says, if any of you are tired, if any of you are heavy burdened, and he's talking about the law because, you know, he's talking about these religious people who are just kind of serving and working and worshiping, and just, this could not, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't joyful. It wasn't giving life. It was sucking the life out of them. And Jesus, looking out, he could, he could, he knew their hearts. And he says something incredible. He says, listen, if any of you are here and you're tired, it just seems like you're just spinning your wheels and you're not getting closer to God. You're just, you're just tired. You're heavy burdened. It's just like, man I just, I just, man, I just wish I could get from under this weight, this oppression. Jesus says, if that's you, come to me and I'll give you rest. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is light. And my yoke is easy. And what Jesus says that, he's, he's, he's saying, listen, this yoke, Jesus is in the yoke with us. It's a partnership with us. And, and when we allow Jesus to direct us, when we allow Jesus to steer us, when we allow Jesus to control us, it's his yoke that's light. It's his yoke that's easy. Now, now I know he said, because that sounds really appealing to us. We like things that are easy. We like things that are quick. In fact, those are catch words, all right? Those are what we call hooks in advertisement. When you want to advertise something, use the word easy because we're always looking for something something easy. We're always looking at you. It's quick. It's easy. It's powerful. It gets the job done. Order now. Supplies are limited. Get it. It's free. It's quick. It's easy. And that's me. It's got my name written all over it. I like things that are quick and easy. I don't like things. The opposite of that is long and hard. I don't want that. And so we're, we're, we're drawn by quick and easy. And many times we think, well, that's, that's the Christian life. It's just quick and easy. I just check out. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. But we understand, no, no, we are yoked with Christ. In other words, we're, we're in the same harness with Christ. And so if Christ moves forward, guess what we do? We move forward. If Christ moves to the right, we move to the right. If Christ moves to the left, we move to the left. If Christ stops, we stop. We are yoked together with him. He'll do the work, but we have to follow. It's amazing teaching. So biblical freedom is not, I can do what I want. Biblical freedom is now I can do what God wants. Here's something else too I want you to kind of write down. It's a good point right here. That's why you should get the app. It's already in it. Serving is a privilege we get to do, not a job we have to do. When we get this down, when we understand as believers, as followers of Jesus, serving is a privilege that we have the honor of doing. It's not a job that we have to do. Many times we look at serving as a duty instead of a desire. We understand it's grace. God has been gracious to us. God has been loving to us. God has been uh, so merciful towards us. It's the least that we could do is to serve. But see, when we start to look at serving as a job, something we have to do, well, there's no, there's no joy in that. I have to be honest. There are things in my house chores that we all have to do. Uh, one of my chores is taking out the garbage. 
I, I, I find no joy in that. Zero. I, I find, it's not like, whoa, I get to take the garbage out today. Woo, it's, it, come on, guys, pile it in. Let's, let's get all the garbage. In fact, you know what? Let's make today a double bag day. I'll take this one out, and then we'll, I'll come back. Let me get a little break here, and I'm going to take the next one out. I find absolutely zero joy in taking out the garbage because it's something that I have to do. Right? It's, it's, it, it, I, I look at it as it, it's, it's not enjoyable for me. Many times we, we have that same mindset when it comes to serving. It's kind of like taking out the garbage. You know, I have to do it. And whenever we have that attitude, I have to do it, guess what? There's going to be no joy in it. There's going to be no joy in serving because of this, this negative mindset of I have to do it. Instead of having the right attitude of I get the honor. I get the privilege to do that. It's a difference. We bring that into the church. We bring that into ministry. We look at the roles that God has called us to serve. I know it's easy to look at it as a job, even as a pastor. It's easy for me to look at it as a job. Well, I have to go in. I have to preach. I have to get a sermon. I have to do this. I have to make phone calls. I have to go visit people. I have to go to meetings, which, which I really love meetings. They just make me so joyful. I love meetings. I have to do, no, no, no. But when I understand, you know what? What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to be your pastor. What a privilege it is for me to study God's word and to bring that out on a Sunday morning. What a, what a joy it is for me to do that. It's a difference in attitude. Notice verse 13. How are we to serve one another? Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So we're to serve each other through love. Not duty. Big difference there. I serve because I, lo I love God. I love you. I love others. It should be the same, right? It's not through duty. Paul doesn't say serve one another from obligation, serve one another out of necessity. Listen, no amount of legislation can, can change morality. You can't. You see, our behaviors are not changed because of laws. Our behaviors are not changed because of an outside, or outside laws. Our behavior is changed from the inside. Our behaviors are changed, all right? We become more like Christ as we love one another, as we serve one another, as, and, and as we look at, we get to Galatians chapter 5, when Paul gives this whole list of the works of the flesh, and he says, here's the works of the flesh, idolatry, lying, cheating, stealing, gives this whole dirty laundry list of, of, of the works of the flesh, and then he says, however, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so leading the, leading the charge is love, and I believe once, once, once we allow God's love to uh, fill us up and then pour out of us into others, well, then comes joy, then comes peace, then comes patience, then comes faithfulness, 
Then comes self-control. Once, once we allow God to first love us, and then we allow him to pour out of us. And so, uh, number one, we're, we're to use our freedom to serve one another. Number two, uh, we serve one another because we love Jesus. That should be our motivation. Look at verse 14. Paul says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbors as yourself. So listen, we talked about, we actually did a whole message not too long ago on the great commandment, uh, where Jesus was asked the question, he says, a religious person came and said, Jesus, out of all the commandments, which, which is the greatest? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second, likewise, to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, listen, the, the whole law can be fulfilled in this, to love, to love your neighbors as yourself. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If, your love for, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. This is, if, if you really want to keep God's commandments, if you really want to honor God's law, here it is. It's, it's, it's love. That is the motivation. That's, that's what drives us. It drives us to love him, and it drives us to love others. And so we always need to be conscious of how we want to be treated. Again, so often we're consumers, and we want people to pray for us. Let me say this. Whatever you want, give. That's how you get what you want. If you want somebody to pray for you, pray for somebody. If you want someone to encourage you, you be an encourager. This is the give and take principle. Whatever you want, you need to give. We see this over and over again, whether it's the give and take principle or it's the uh, sowing and reaping principle. It's, it's the same thing. If you want people to help you, then look for someone you can help. See, the moment you want someone to do something for you, you need to go out and do something for someone else. But I don't want to. See, I, I think that that's the wrong use of our freedom because it breeds apathy and it breeds a spirit of laziness. On January 20th, 1961, President JFK was sworn into office, and he delivered one of the most famous inaugural addresses in U.S. history. In his speech, JFK said, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. It's an incredible statement. I love it. I love it. What JFK is saying is, listen, don't ask what your government can do. Don't ask what your country can do for you. You ask what you can do for your country. I would even flip that and make that biblical is don't ask what somebody else can do for you. You ask what you can do for somebody else. That's how we're to use our freedom. Number three, quickly. We're to share God's, or we share God's love when we love others. We share God's love when we love others. Remember we talked about God's love pouring into us. But you can't pour out what you don't have. 
And so we're to pour out God's love because he's been loving us. And I believe that we are never more like Jesus than when we are serving one another. Never more like Jesus. In fact, do you remember the Last Supper? How many of you remember the Last Supper? We see the picture. That's great. They're all smiling when they took that photo. So we, we saw the photo, right, of the Last Supper. If you remember the story, uh, this was the night before Jesus would be led away. He would be arrested. He would be tried. And then later he would be crucified. If you remember the story, Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go to this special place, the upper room, and I want you to make preparations for the Passover for me. And they do all of that. And Jesus, uh, his disciples show up for this Last Supper, this dinner. And Jesus does something uh, which I believe utterly surprised and shocked the disciples, all right? Because when they get to the upper room, Jesus takes off his outer garment and he puts on a servant's robe. Now just imagine, here's the disciples. They've been following Jesus for three and a half years, all right? Uh, they, they've, seen Jesus, you know, they, they've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus feed people. They've seen Jesus um, cause a lame person to walk, blind person to see. Man, Jesus is an incredible teacher. And, and they're watching Jesus take, out his, take off his outer garment, and, and he puts on this servant robe, and he takes a towel, and he fills up a basin of water, and he begins to do something incredible. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. I had to be shocked by that. Taken back. What? In fact, if you remember Peter, Peter says, Whoa, wait a second. Wait a second, Jesus. I, I should be washing your feet. Not you washing my feet. Something's wrong here, Jesus. And Jesus says, Listen, Peter, if I don't wash you, you won't be clean. And G Peter says, Well, man, wash my whole body. And Jesus says, listen, it's, it's your feet that picks up the filth. And there's a lot of spiritual um, uh, truth in what, what Jesus is saying. And I don't want to kind of go off on a detour here. But the fact to say that Jesus humbled himself and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, listen, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That's what they've been calling him teacher. They were his students. They were his disciples. They were followers of Jesus, right? And they said, Jesus, you're, you're our teacher. Jesus said, you've been calling me teacher. You've been calling me Lord. You're, Jesus, you're our master. You know, wherever you go, we'll follow. You know, we're all in, Jesus. Jesus says, you, you've been calling me teacher. You've been calling me Lord. And you are right. Because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And then Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now what Jesus is talking about is humbling ourselves and serving one another. That's, that's the principle, right? That's what the illustration Jesus is teaching and he's trying to impress upon his disciples' heart is, listen, we are, we are really like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus... You have to serve one another. You cannot sit. You cannot do nothing and say, I'm just like Christ. I'm just like Jesus. If you're not serving, you're nothing like Jesus. Nothing. In fact, Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served... 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we are most like Jesus when we are serving one another. Not when we're serving self, but again, again, we, we got our own preferences, we got our own wants, our own desires. Not serving self, but serving others. How many of y'all like to go out and eat? If you go to a restaurant uh, where, where it's one of these sit-down restaurants and a waiter or a waitress will come to you, you know, you, they give you the menu, they give you a few minutes to look over the menu. Uh, if you're in uh, that, that kind of a business, you'll understand this analogy really good. Uh, and, and then they come to you and, and they'll ask you, uh, what would you like to eat? You've had time to look over the menu and you say, you know what, I'd like to go with a hamburger today. Hamburger and french fries. And the server said, well, good, I'm glad you'd like to go with that. Go on, serve yourself. It's right back there. You'd be like, wait a second. You're a lousy server. Likewise, we, we do that as Christians. We say, well, yeah, you know what? If you, if you want to help yourself, go, go right back there. But we understand we're, we're called to be servants. We're called to serve one another. And a servant does just that. We are like Jesus when we serve one another. Not when we expect to be served, but when we humble ourselves and we serve one another. Now, I like this, all right? Uh, because when you go to a restaurant, I've never had uh, a waiter or waitress do this. I would be absolutely shocked, and I would have to take out my phone and say, oh, we're doing live Facebook on this one. But can you imagine if you're going to order, and, 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 and the waiter or waitress says, I'm not even going to give you a menu. I'm going to tell you what you're going to eat. You're going to eat liver and onions. Now, you might like liver and onions. I'm not a particular fan of liver and onions, all right? But if that's their attitude, they're going to say, look, you coming in here, I'm going to serve you what I want you to eat. Again, that server has the wrong attitude of what it means to be a server. A server puts other people's needs before their own. And we're going to be more like Jesus. We have to have the same mindset. You see, the antidote to selfishness is servanthood. Real quick, verse 15 Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You see, the real threat, the real threat is not the enemy outside. It's the enemy within. The real threat is not outside, it's it's inside, right? And Paul says, listen, this this is the real, if you really want to know, the indicator of selfishness is biting and devouring one another. It's not serving and loving one another. It's biting and devouring each other. And Paul says, guess what? If you do that, you'll be destroyed by each other. It's not an outside force. It's not an outside entity. It's not an outside enemy. It's an inside enemy. It's ourselves. I believe this is a real problem today. It's a problem in our nation because we have so much. We're just kind of doing this against each other. We're biting and devouring each other. It's a problem within churches. Again, because we become self-centered. It's about us. Division happens. So let me end with this. What, what can you do to serve We need to see service as a privilege, not a duty. 
And every single person, you, you, if, you've been, if you're a Christian, all right, you placed your faith in Jesus, you said, yeah, you know what, I've got my ticket into heaven, I've got my Jesus card, you have been called to serve, you have been saved to serve. Not sit, not do nothing. In fact, the call to Christianity is a call to serve, serve one another. Begins having the right mindset. I believe we need to look. We need to look for opportunities to serve. And if there's no opportunities, because I know people say that, well, you know what, I want to serve, but there's no opportunities. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. If there's no opportunity, create the opportunity. What you want, you give. You want somebody to pray for you, you start praying for others. You want somebody to encourage you, you encourage others. If you want somebody to visit you from the church, you visit others. What you want, you give. The opportunity is not there. Create the opportunity. We've been set free to serve, not indulge ourselves in selfishness. Every head bowed and every eye closed.